Hey friends, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Kent Cartridge. Uh, I've got a man, I've got a lot of history with this brand, going back to my college days when I was waiting tables just to fund my duck hunting addiction. That's when I first discovered Kent, and uh, I'd mess around with other brands, cheaper brands, and literally watch the pellets bounce off of greenheads. Uh, I found Kent, and I fell in love. And nothing's changed over the last 20 years except for, well, I'd say Fast Steel 2.0 is even better than the original. And Kent offers a premium shell at a sub-premium price. Check it out. It's Fast Steel 2.0. You can find it at your local retailer. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born and more, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists Think about that, targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. The wind it lifts the desert sand Sings a song of the elder man The name he bears will echo on through time Bed big and lost the hand. We pressed on the best we can. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody into episode 643 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. It is great to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. A privilege, a treat, an honor, if you will. There is nothing I'd rather be doing, so thank you for being here. Um, I've got a great show lined up for you today, and I'll tell you all about it momentarily. But first, man, oh man, dove season is here. We've had, gosh, I guess we've done four or five hunts now with uh, the new pup, and Henry has been on every one of those all the kids went opening morning. We went out to Waxahachie and hunted with my good friends Brett and Charles over at uh, Three Curl Outfitters, and I think we got, I think we only got five birds, uh, but the field was loaded. I was trying to uh, wrangle a, a new pup, and JoJo was, you know, it was her first hunt, and I shot like trash. I'll be honest, um, and I was using teal steel <laughs> out of a twenty gauge. Yeah, that was all that Kent had uh, for the 20. They were completely sold out of their uh, steel dove and 20 gauge. They were like, well, six shot teal steel. Uh-uh, did not. You know what? It's good for teal, right? Maybe not the best idea for dove. I need the smaller shot. So the next day, we went uh, somewhere a lot closer to the house and banged out 15 in an hour, and that was with their uh, steel dove in 12 gauge, seven and a half shot. Now, that combination proved to be very deadly. And not that the teal steel isn't, but I think it's more effective on ducks, a little bit 
bigger target. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that I've been out shooting my shotgun a lot during the off season because I haven't. I don't think I've shot it since turkey season. Uh, so uh, shook the rust off opening day, and uh, the next couple days it was opening day was like six shells to a bird. Pathetic. Which that's like almost that's the Texas average. I think it's actually seven shells per bird uh, for Texas hunters, dove hunters. Uh, the next couple of days, it was like one out of every two. So I was feeling pretty good about that. Um, and Henry, uh, he didn't look so judgy <laughs> in the field, uh, you know, as I wasn't missing quite as much. I actually took this one photo of his handout. Like, the bird was right there, Dad. What are you doing? He didn't even know I was taking it after I missed, but pretty funny. Uh, so we've got a lot of dove in the freezer and Stella's favorite dove hearts. We're going to have the dove heart kebabs as a, an appetizer sometime this week. Uh, so looking forward to that. Hope you guys had a great opener. If you haven't had a chance to get out yet, hopefully you're making plans to do that here uh, before all the birds get too skittish. But anyway, oh, and one other cool thing I did, I went out to the new uh, whitetail lease and topped off my feeders and got the new Big Chingone blind set up. So the kiddos are excited about that as well. Uh, Henry shot his first deer out of the Big Chingone, and I'm hoping that at least one of the twins will do the same this year, although I won't be putting any pressure on them. When they say, Dad, I want to, and one of them said that last year, but she hasn't put in the time, the practice time, to really show me that she's serious about it. So it might just be Henry's show again, but they'll be there. Uh, they love to go and sit. We'll just see if either one of them get any trigger time this season. Um, but, yeah, it's ready to rock and roll, and I'm excited about the uh, the new lease out there in Benjamin. Also should have a lot of ducks out there if it gets, if it gets cold this year. So hopefully – uh, we'll we'll have a, a nasty winter, which makes for better hunting. Uh, what are we doing today? Let me tell you. You know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old Stanley thermos, the one Granddaddy passed down years ago. Because we're ready to rock and roll. And David Schusler, Ducks Unlimited's national director of event funding and R three programs, will be here, and we're going to break down the. U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, Waterfowl Survey, which this is the first time in three years that this has actually happened. It, it's supposed to happen every year, but because of COVID, got canceled two years in a row. Uh, well, we have the data now, so we're going to take a look at duck numbers. Are they good, bad? Are things trending in the right direction above or below each species' long-term average? We'll discuss here in a minute. Um, also, changing agricultural practices how is that affecting fall flight? And, you know, once you look at the numbers, does that, if they're bad, if they're on the decline, does that necessarily mean that your season's going to suck? Maybe not. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it all with David coming up in a minute. Uh, then our old friend Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance will be here. Lots to get into with Brian, uh, specifically the joint lawsuit where uh, Sportsman's Alliance, SCI, and some other partners are suing the state of California for um, a very vague firearm advertisement law designed to uh, undermine youth recruitment for the purposes of hunting and shooting. Also, as someone who lives in Washington State, 
you know, he's lived it. He's seen it. What is it like when these anti-hunting organizations start trying to have some sway with state wildlife uh, managing bodies? Because for the first time I can remember, we are seeing it right here in Texas. And a lot of people don't even realize it because these antis come dressed as a sheep in wolf's clothing right under our noses. And they do it incrementally, one little tiny step at a time. And then you wake up 20 years later and your rights and your pastime have been stripped away. So uh, maybe he has some advice for folks that, that live in the South where these ideologies, these narratives haven't completely infiltrated our state wildlife agencies. Not yet. Uh, so lots to get into with Brian. I'm sure we'll discuss other stuff as well. So that's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. Let's knock out a quick giveaway. How about a Ducks Unlimited Fleece and annual membership? If you're not a member already, uh, this gets you the DU Magazine newsletter and we'll throw in the Ducks Unlimited Fleece. Uh, so to enter, just uh, email the word waterfowl, that's waterfowl, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. That's a $70 value. Ah, the fleece might even be more than that, but I think the, the membership is like 40 bucks a month. So anyway, you'll get the DU fleece and your annual membership and magazine. Uh, just uh, email waterfowl to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Let's knock out a quick break. Up next, DU's David Schusler joins us on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. And I would buy for you a diamond or myself some gasoline. If I can't afford you, darling, then I can't afford to dream. And is it time I should be moving? Is it time I settle down? If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then 3 Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guides scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. This is Aaron Lewis, and thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. He handed it to me on the day I turned 13 With a half-shot box of shells and a kit to keep it clean I keep a picture in the case of that sweet old Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Thanks for being here today. Thanks to Mossberg Firearms, our presenting sponsor, and the sponsor of this segment. Like I said, uh, I've been using that 940 Pro Waterfowl. I actually used it for the dove opener, and man, that thing is a pretty sweet shotgun. I'm not going to lie. 
I love that Mossberg is America's oldest family-owned firearm manufacturer. I love that it cycles and shoulders like a dream, and I love that I don't have to clean the damn thing. That's what I love the most. Uh, 1,500 rounds, they say, before you need to clean the 940 Pro. Uh, I've got the Pro Waterfowl. They've got the uh, Tactical. They've got the Turkey, and they've got uh, one. If you're into uh, sporting clays, they've got the Jerry Michaluk Edition. So check it out. It's the 940 Pro, and you can find it at Mossberg.com. With that being said, let's bring on our first guest, jumping on from Memphis, Tennessee, the home of Ducks Unlimited. It's my pleasure to welcome DU's David Schusler to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. It is my pleasure. Uh, so first of all, how was your summer? Uh, I caught COVID twice. Nice. <laughs> Um, but had a great DUX, you know, our big summertime event. I was uh, there. Of course. And yeah, yeah, you were there. Yeah. Um, and other than that, I would say it was a, a normal summer with the exception of Memphis, where I live, Ducks Unlimited's headquarters. We were unusually hot, but I think most, most folks around the country experienced a very warm summer. So I'm, I'm tired of this hot weather and ready to ready to go hunting and have the fishing turned back on with a little cooler weather as well. Yeah. I see, uh, I see a fish behind you and I see a wart. I can barely make out the tusks of a warthog. So you've obviously been to Africa. Yeah. I've got it there. We got yeah, a wildebeest, so a, a bass. wildebeest warthog, a, uh, blessed buck. Let's see a bush buck, a Niala. That's a 12 and a half pound bass right there. And if I go around there are more bass and ducks, there's a <laughs> You got a there. kudu over there, man. And then there's a Niala right there. So, wow. That's uh, a good looking office. You know, I, I spend more time in my office than I do at home. So uh -huh. I figure if I'm going to spend the money to have these things mounted and chase them and do all of that, I'm going to have them here with me during the day. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why this recording studio is an homage to things that I've uh, killed and eaten. I call it my muse. You know, you got to have that stuff around you if you're going to be thinking about the outdoors all day long. Yeah. Uh, I do have a trout. I can't get the camera to go over there. I got a, I've got a 29 and a half inch trout, uh, speckled trout over here. That's the only fish that I have, but I have caught a, uh, a 10.28 pound bass, uh, that I am going to have a rec a replica done eventually of. If it's over 10, you got to put it, you have to put it on the wall. So, so where did you catch your, your 10 pounder? Uh, out of Florida. I grew up in North Florida in Tallahassee. I was going to so say, you don't the have those. You don't have a lot of those in Memphis. <laughs> uh, no. Um, Florida if I'm and Texas. Bass fish, I go home. <laughs> yeah. Florida, Texas. California has a lot of good bass fisheries too for big bass, but I'd say those they are do. the three. The three they best. Do. You just have to, you have to throw worms on them about 60 times before they hit them. Or at least that's what I've read. Yeah. That the, Calif the California big bass are very finicky. Mm. Uh, but yeah. I was, I was blessed to grow up in a part of the world that, um, had a bunch of big bass. I've certainly caught my share. I'm probably not the best bass fisherman because growing up in Florida, you just take a plastic worm or a, a buzz bait or a spinner bait and just circle the pond, throw at the bank and eventually enough cash. You catch, <laughs> catch one to put on the wall. So. I've always wanted to fish Okeechobee. I never have, but, uh, that's, that's I've, I've never fished Okeechobee. Um, it was down in South Florida. Uh -huh. um, but I think a lot of the lakes I fished were very similar to it. Shallow lake, uh, you know, a lot of grass, not a ton of structure. Uh, and you really, you never thought a whole bunch about 
which way is the wind blowing and where are the bait fish and, and you know it was just it was just throw 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 mm-hmm. and uh and, and eventually eventually you were going to set into one that uh you could take a picture of and share with folks right um well cool well let's uh let's talk some ducks here okay and uh you know it, it was interesting to have what the last has it been the last two last two summers were, were canceled because of COVID. Yep. So every year the U S fish and wildlife service does the, um, waterfowl survey. And that's how we kind of get an idea of what population numbers are and compared to long-term averages. So we can compare those trends. Uh, but yeah, because of COVID just didn't do them the last two years. Correct. And, and it's the, it's the U S fish and wildlife service in the U S and then the Canadian wildlife service, um, mm. up in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, okay. um, and the Eastern transects that they fly. And, and this, this duck survey is the oldest and probably the most, um, intensive species specific type wildlife survey that's done in the world. They've been doing it for decades and they have pilots that go up in planes and they fly the exact same transects every year. So, mm. I think it's important when people see the numbers come out every uh, summer. They used to come out in July. Now they come out in August. Um, it's exciting, right? You get to see what's going on. Uh, but it's important for people to know that they're not counting every single duck that, mm-hmm. that's up on the breeding grounds. What they are counting are the birds that are under them uh, as they fly these tra- these transects, which are very intensive. I mean, they do stretch a, a large part of the prairies. But it just it gives us a good overall feel of how populations are doing. And the one thing that I tell people, you know, when I have cousins or I have friends I grew up with or hunting buddies call me when they come out, you know, they say, what what do you think? And I said, well, the first thing to remember is this is kind of like a 401k. It gives us a picture of the of the health of our savings and the direction that it's heading in. Mm -hmm. But I often caution people don't read into these surveys and immediately say, well, this is how my duck season is going to go because it it just doesn't work that way. Um, Great winners in a low population of ducks, but a great winner that pushes them south um, is you can see more birds than you do with high populations. And unfortunately, like we've had the past few years, weak winners that just don't push them down as far south as duck hunters like myself want them to. So. Well, and you're talking to someone who's at the tail end of the central flyway and the last two seasons, they've been forgettable. Like I, I like, I like deer hunting. I love duck hunting. I, I guess maybe I love deer hunting too, but I like dogs. I like hunting with any kind of dog and to have, to be able to do that with my dog, it kind of just makes the duck hunting I don't know, a little more appealing. It's and, romantic. I mean, right, waterfowl right. hunting is a, it's, it's like a romance. I'm going to get emails, dogs. hate emails from whitetail hunters saying you bastard, you know, but no, I, I just, I duck hunting was always my first love. I've probably deer hunted more though. And, and it's like, which one of your kids do you love the most? I guess I love them all, <laughs> but, um, but I haven't spent as much time in the duck blind because our seasons have been so crappy and we know it's going to be like, it only takes 10 times of going out and shooting one or two ducks or getting skunked. And it's like, do you want to go to the duck lease today? No, I'm going to go deer hunting, you know, and it's a shame. It's 
and, and it's been tough for a lot of us in the South. I hunt in Arkansas, living in Memphis, um, I'm, you know, close to the Grand Prairie of Arkansas and Stuttgart mm-hmm. and all of those areas. And it's, it's been, um, it's been a challenge for a lot of folks, uh, just because our winners have not really been winners. I know for us last year in the Mississippi flyway duck hunting was very spotty mm-hmm. until January. And then when we started getting some cold fronts, when snow started covering up, uh, some of the food up North and large bodies of water started freezing, Hey, magic things happened. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden our mallards showed up and we were, we were able to, I don't want to say salvage, but I will use that word. We were able to salvage a season um, last year because of the late push of cold weather that we had uh, in those mid-latitude states that push push birds the way that I believe Mother Nature intended them to be pushed uh, down into parts of the of the world where I hunt. It's very interesting. I've, I, I used to live in Texas. Now I live here uh, in Memphis. I've been here for 15 years. About the first 10 years that I hunted Arkansas, we would deal with freeze out conditions two to three times a year. Mm-hmm. In the past three seasons, I have seen our rice fields freeze up one time. Wow. And mm-hmm. so I think that just tells the story of how different the weather's been here for the past two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's lots of schools of thought on, um, you know, as to why that is. Um, we don't have to dive into climate change. Everyone has their own thought on that. Uh, they do. Uh, I, I will share some of the um, more seasoned waterfowl hunters in this area than myself. Some that, that have been around, been on the earth a little bit longer, do tell me stories of, you know, I remember when we had these three to four warm years back at the end of the 90s. And I remember when it did this um, in, in the early 80s. So yeah. I do think there's a cyclical pattern oh, to good. it. Well, we're on the same page there because I, I mean, we just had all this flooding in Dallas recently and we were in a bad drought. Like it was a bad drought this summer yeah. and it dumped nine inches worth of rain in 24 hours, which in my lifetime was the second most rain that August has gotten in a month. And it, got, it all came in 24 hours. And I'm looking at all these headlines and it's like climate crisis caused flash floods. And I'm like, hold on a second. We've always had drought and we've always come out of drought with floods or, or heavy rains. And I'm just like, you can, you can blame some stuff. And I'm not saying that humans aren't changing the climate. I believe we are to a certain degree, sure. but you can't say these natural phenomenons that have always happened throughout the history of this earth. Now, all of a sudden we're blaming it on climate change. I'm, I'm just not going to buy into that. Like they already happened. So it's absurd. It's hey, just uh, there, there, an agenda are... that's being pushed. There, there are certainly patterns uh, growing up close to the Gulf of Mexico and Florida. Um, we, you know, we talk about the patterns of hurricanes that come through. Mm-hmm. And for most of my childhood, I never really experienced a hurricane and at the age of two and at the age of 15. Um, and I don't remember when I was two, uh, but in 72 and then in 85, uh, we had a couple of hurricanes hit Tallahassee with really nothing in between those years. And then you'll go through a 10-year period where it seems like there's one that hits that part of the world every year. And then, you know, you'll go through it. So I think there's a there's a lot to um, just those patterns. And we've seen it on the prairies before mm-hmm. where, you know, where the majority of North America's waterfowl spend their summers. The prairies go through wet cycles and they go through dry cycles and they need to 
Uh, if, right. if, a, if, a, if a prairie pothole stays full all the time, it's, it's not a prairie pothole anymore. It's a pond and it's better for bluegill than it is for growing uh, the, the food necessary for ducks to have to, to feed their young and all of the magical things that happen up there in the summertime. And, and what we've seen really is you, as you take a look at the, the numbers this year, there was a bit of a gasp, I think, when everybody started looking at what were the 2022 counts versus 19, what a lot of people didn't know because they didn't do those counts for two years is that 20 and 21, we were dealing with significant drought in the prairies. Right. And, right. and so for a lot of us, it was not a surprise to see the numbers where they are because we were just getting reports from DU biologists whose job it is to be out in the field up there telling us it's really, really bad, bad drop. Fortunately, uh, about the time that we were holding DUX, um, uh, uh, late spring, uh, up, they started getting rain up there. And um, not quite ready yet to say that they're out of their, dry, their drought cycle, uh, but it's certainly bode well, it, 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 it created an environment where we could have a breeding season this year. And I mm -hmm. think the really important thing that came out of the reports this year is that our May pond counts um, are 4% uh, ahead of long term. And, and well, that's, that's, great. that's great because the birds that go back this year are going to find, you know, we get that carryover, a little bit of snow this winter, we're going to find a a landscape from the beginning of the breeding season um, next year that we could see an increase in production, a significant increase in production. And uh, so for me, that's what I'm looking at at the 401k of the, of the 2022 uh, waterfowl survey is that we're starting to get water back on the, the potholes up there, which is well, just, just, just looking on your website on ducks unlimited's website with where you posted the uh, waterfowl survey and, that's where I get all my information. I get the, the emails. I, I get the updates on the social media apps and everything. Um, and so if you're not, you know, tuned in to, uh, to all of DU's outlets, I, I suggest you get plugged in because that's where I first saw it. Well, I was like, Oh, cool. The, the survey numbers are out and it was the usual suspects that went down from. So these are all 2019 numbers, like we said, cause there wasn't a 20 right. or 21 survey, but you look at the Northern pintail and it's down 54% from the long-term average, 21% from 2019. And this is a duck that uh, I've been doing this, what, almost 15 years. And this is the duck that we talk about the most. Like, why is this duck struggling? Uh, what's the deal here? So really no surprise that it uh, it, it took another downward trend. Uh, Northern yeah. Shoveler's down 17%. You know, the smiling mallard, everybody's favorite duck to eat. Uh Surprisingly, though, green wing teal down 32%. Widgeon haven't, like over the last 15 years, haven't really been going up. They've kind of continued to go down. But then there's the Mr. Uh, Mr. Gadwall, who's up 30% and has saved so many Southern Texas or Texas hunters, for sure me. Uh, so many of our seasons have been, hey, there's no mallards coming, but look at all these gray ducks and look yeah, at all look these at the rain ducks, right. <laughs> you know? Right, uh, and then, right. and then you don't even see ringnecks on here. And so then I was like, wait, they're on a different, they're on a different survey. Um, but yeah, so even the Gadwall though, down 18% over the last two years and the Mallard down 23%. Uh, 
uh, from 2019. So really, you look across the board, almost everything was down except blue winged teal and redhead, surprisingly. I don't know why. Those two seem to do much better. Maybe you have, uh, you've been talking to some of your biologist buddies. They could explain why that is. Um, a, a lot of the teal is just based on timing of when they return. Mm-hmm. Um, teal, for, for those who live in, the, in the, the far south, whether it's Florida or Texas or all points uh, in between, you know, it's not uncommon to hear somebody say, hey, I, I saw a flock of teal today and it was, you know, mid-April. Um, some of those teal are coming all the way from South America and there can be some variation in their counts just based on how quick the prairies open up and they can get back. Um, so we, we do see some of those swings, uh, in, in teal, um, pintail are so many of the pintail that come south every year, um, breed in the, in the short grass prairies of Alberta. Mm-hmm. And while Saskatchewan and especially the Dakotas, uh, while they receive their water, um, would we kind of have that that drought break um, late spring? Um, Alberta remained dry, and then it was two or three weeks later that they started getting their rain. But in Alberta, it was like a little bit too much, too late. Mm-hmm. And so it, it would be my kind of my guess that what happened is the pintails overflew Alberta, went and settled up on the edge of the boreal forest and just kind of rode out breeding season up, breeding season up there, maybe not making a great attempt. Um, so there just wasn't a lot of them in the um, under the airplanes in the count areas when they went to count. Them. Um, still, you know, that's that's not just to cast it off. That's not great because there probably isn't going to be a whole lot of reproduction inside of pintails. They're a, they're a bird that do not handle change very well. Right. And a lot of the work that Ducks Unlimited does is with our winter wheat program um, in Alberta. Uh, and this is to work with producers in uh, going from a spring wheat to a winter wheat, uh, which you, know, you plant winter wheat in the fall, comes up a little bit, lies dormant, but it's some of the first uh, crops to go ahead and grow up in the spring. And there's all the science in the world that shows that pintails really like nesting in winter wheat. So um, we have programs that are trying to uh, attack that continual um, challenge that's inside of the pintail population. But that's really one coming out of this. I think that that was of great concern. You know, you look at mm-hmm. mallards being 9% below the long-term average. Okay, well, we kind of expected that. Right. Um, it's great that the gadwall are up, um, you know, the widgeon and the and the canvas backs. But as you look at as you look at those pintails, that's one that gives you pause and says, okay, you know, we continue to have this issue with them. And, yeah. and it's really due to those challenges in Alberta. So we'll probably see that we'll probably see regulatory changes on the pintail based off of these numbers. I would assume like, I would assume, you know, I, I know that it, and, and all of those regulations are based um, out of the flyway councils, which there's right. four of the Pacific, the central Mississippi Atlantic. Um, and, and they'll put forth those regulations down to the state level. Um, my assumption would be uh, most states would go to a one pintail, this year, I've not heard anything about a season inside of a season for mm-hmm. pintails, meaning a restricted season for them um, inside of the framework, the, the overall framework, number of days framework. But I would be highly surprised if anybody 
allows any states to shoot more than one pintail this year. And probably um, some states would put a, a Drake only um, on that as well. But I have, I just haven't seen a whole lot of regs coming out about that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I agree with you. I'm sure that'll change. Well, David, let's take a quick break here. I want to come back and get into the Eastern survey as well as changes in, in agricultural practices and, and what that means going forward. That segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. I'd like to invite you to join our ranks as well because SCI puts his money where its mouth is. They're on the front lines fighting for our rights every day in Washington, D.C. And it's a thankless job, but somebody has to do it. For more information, head over to safariclub.org. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. It's time to tell you about Protect Products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, Energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is, They don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. Hey guys, Cable here for Cryo and More, the one-stop feel-good shop in McKinney, Texas. I've been going there for over a year now. All your holistic healing needs with cold, heat, and compression therapy services. And these services, they're the fastest way that I've found to reduce inflammation and to get to the root cause of pain. You don't need to be in pain, though, in order to benefit from these services. Cryotherapy helps with burning calories, optimizing sleep, boosting energy, and much more. I can tell you that's true because I feel like a brand new man every time I get out of the cryo chamber. Uh, Plus, compression therapy helps promote healthy blood flow. Come in anytime before 1 o'clock, 1 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Say the words cold outdoors and you'll get $10 off your cryo session. That's cryoandmore.com. Run the river, catch a small elk, shoot a mallard as he flies south. Run my dog till I get that trophy for Southern Southern Outdoors, the name of that one from Matt Prater, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith, riding shotgun with you, as always. Thanks for dropping by today. Uh, we're still visiting with Ducks Unlimited's David Schusler, and we'll get back into that conversation here in just a second. This segment, though, brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Reactor Cell Camera. We've got three of them. Actually, I just put three more out at the new place in Benjamin last week. And uh, already, well, I just got my first picture of a hog on the new place. So that was cool. And there is a nice 10-point buck that's got my, uh, well, let's just say he's piqued my interest. So we'll see how that plays out. But the reactor keeps me up to date. 
and helps me really get an idea of, hey, this buck's two and a half years old. This buck's three and a half. We're going to let them go. This buck right here, eh, he's like five and a half, and he's on the hit list. So uh, great for inventory and keeping tabs on what's coming to the feeder while I'm four hours away. Check it out. It's the reactor. You can find it at stealthcam.com. Okay. Uh, well, David, thanks for sticking around. So now I'm looking at the Eastern survey, which came out uh, a couple of days later, or or maybe I'll release it a couple of days later. I don't know. Um, that's where I find my ring neck duck that I've, I'm ashamed to say I've shot so many of. And I'm amazed to see there's only uh, estimated 637,000 ring necks. I think I've seen that many in Texas in one season. Well, that's how many, that's how many breeding pairs they counted. Uh Um, And and remember that the Eastern survey area is really over, you know, kind of towards Quebec and that part over there, a lot harder uh, to count breeding uh, waterfowl over there. Um, A ring neck that um, is born in Eastern Canada. uh, I really wouldn't expect to make it to Texas. Um, I'm expecting. So why is the ring neck not on the regular survey? Um, because I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I believe it's because a ringneck is primarily a forest breeding duck. Now I have seen some ringnecks breed on the prairies of, of, um, of Canada. I mean, you notice there's not even ruddy ducks on that count either. Right. Um, but, but, or cinnamon teal on that count. Uh, I think there's so few of them on the prairies where they run those normal transects that they just, mm-hmm. they don't count them. And most of the ringnecks that you've shot growing up are coming out of the boreal forest that's north of the prairie pothole region. And I know of very few counts that are done there just because yeah. it's so dense and so hard to see them. So I, I have, the, uh, I have pictures from a um, canoe trip that I did in Ontario. Mm-hmm. of of multiple uh hatches of of ringnecks and that was i am assuming you know that's uh the boreal forest there uh yep. you know we're doing a a canoe trip and you're portaging and i saw all sorts of cool uh, mergansers and this that and the other but i was like oh this is where the ringnecks make their make their hay here yeah they they're, they're really across um all of canada but but yes that part of the world there are a lot of them that come out of there. Um, and as you saw on your trip, it's pretty rugged country. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just it's just tough to fly over and look down and say, okay, here, here they are. That, that eastern survey area, which I look at uh, pretty closely while I don't do a lot of hunting um, in the Atlantic Flyway anymore, growing up hunting there um, and spending part of my adulthood over there, it's just of interest to me. But they don't experience wet and dry cycles on the eastern part of Canada as much as they do in the prairies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a much a more stable population of birds over there. Um, I know that there has been some concern about mallard populations over there, whereas some states have actually gone down uh, to two mallards um, per day, but it looks like yep. uh, that population jumped back up versus 19. And I've heard of the um, the potential um, pulling back of some of those restrictions, which I know hunters over in that part of the world are going to be pleased with if they do move forward with those changes. Yeah, I remember doing an interview with uh, a duck hunter on the eastern seaboard. I don't remember if he was like from Virginia or Maryland or somewhere. 
been a couple of years, but he was like, yeah, we can only shoot two mallards. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? I was yeah. like, we don't really see mallards anymore, but you know, we can still shoot five if, if we ever get any cold weather. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say this for Eastern. I, I'll, I'll put a shout out to all my Eastern duck hunters. It is, uh, I, I've, I've been uh, blessed to be able to live in three different flyways. Um, and, and hunt the bottom or halfway up all three of them on a regular basis. The the eastern or the Atlantic flyaway uh, duck hunter is a special breed um, because they uh, it, it's you know where we started uh, waterfowl hunting in this country and it's just a heavy part of their tradition over there. But they don't um, they don't get to see quite as many birds um as as some of the other flyways and it's a it's a special person that hunts them over there and so just a shout out to all my atlantic flyway (laughs) duck hunters out there i know i know that sometimes it's tough with population growth and everything else but thank you for keeping the flame alive in the atlantic flyway tough sledding for some of those guys for sure yep and uh let's see what else is on here that's of interest to me uh teal. Why, why would that? I mean, it seems like, oh, again, uh, an, we get a lot of green teal in Texas. Yeah, another, another bird that a uh, significant number of them breed in the forest. Um, so, you know, remember that, that we're looking at um, we're looking at the number of green wing teal that were counted on the prairies. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the blue wing teal is a prairie bird, but those green wings, um, there's a lot of them that, that choose to to make their living up there in the forest. Um, the fact that they're right at long-term average, uh, if, I'm a, if I'm a hunter at the bottom of the central flyway or um, expecting them to, you know, I'm a Kansas hunter or something like that, I'm, I'm not expecting to see a huge change inside mm-hmm. of uh, the number of green-winged teal that I'm seeing, unless it's dry where you are. And I think that's, that's something that's important, especially as we talk about how dry the West is, um, that, while it's fun to look at these numbers and for folks like you and I to talk about them, um, so much of hunter success is, is determined on conditions where you hunt. Mm-hmm. And, in, in, and, you know, way out west in, in California, um, folks that hunt around uh, Great Salt Lake, people that are hunting in Kansas and Nebraska, it's dry right now. Um, so if I could offer, you know, any forecasting, unless we see some big changes in uh, weather patterns and some of these large um, landscape uh, type areas to fill up with water, I would, I would tell folks, I think you're going to see them, but they're not going to hang out for long. You need to hunt the flight days because uh, places like Cheyenne Bottoms, um, which normally, you know, can hold tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of birds, it's dry. So there's mm. just, you know, that if it gets wet, the birds are going to, they're going to hit it. Um, but they're not going to stick around long, um, just from hunting pressure and everything else. So I would say that the 22, 23 season, most of the country needs to be prepared to, to hunt them on the days that you know, they're going to be flying or coming through, uh, because we're dealing with some significant drought across this country right now. Well, you know, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if uh, they flew right over Kansas and Nebraska and just kept on going south. Uh, because I feel like they've gotten the way. rewards, the, you know, the last couple of seasons. Yep. And I know because I've been to Kansas, I went up there and oh, I've never seen so many mallards. Like I was just, I was like, oh, so this is how, this is what other duck hunters experience. 
no. I yeah. At least for well, one year, you guys can you can scrap scrap here and there and try to scratch out a few ducks and let them all come to Texas. That's well, and and you know when for those Selfish, of us that I know, hunt but on, I'm okay with it. Yeah, for those of us that hunt on the southern end, we do have to remember in the years where uh, it's warm and we don't get them. Somebody above us, <laughs> somebody above them, us yeah. has those birds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, how have um how have agricultural practices change the landscape and and i'm you know that has a lot to do with nebraska and kansas and i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and talk about like blame the people that are short stopping ducks because for for me not seeing as many ducks because i believe if we had the weather we'd still get the ducks Uh, you know there's something to people that are putting flooding corn putting out ice eaters you know keeping things open i don't care if you do that or not i am not beating you up whatsoever i'd probably do the same thing if i could who doesn't want to have ducks around if they have the food keep them around that's great uh, I don't think that's really the issue. I think it's, it's that there's not. just so much ag and a lot of food. And frankly, I don't see that changing. Like, you know, Bill Gates is the largest agricultural farm landowner in America now as he continues to vilify red meat and push this fake meat vegan narrative on us. Um, so that means more land is going to be developed for ag. So there'll be even more food on the landscape, meaning ducks might again stray from their normal migration patterns. And then also, but, you know, it's a catch-22 because are we going to develop valuable nesting habitat to feed this uh, narrative? Well, I, I think in the, in, in the, you know, again, I'm, a, I'm not a biologist, I'm not a scientist, but I get to hang out around all, the best in the world. Right. Um, I think as you look on the, specifically the breeding areas of the Prairie Pothole region of South Dakota, uh, North Dakota, Montana, and then up into Canada. I mean, we, we I heard Canada has turned, turned a lot more of the pothole region into ag production. We, yeah, but that's been going on for decades. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the changeover from, from native prairie to agriculture, I mean, it started in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and in, in, in that's something in, in working with our agriculture partners in programs like the Winter Wheat Program. I mean, that's, those are programs that Ducks Unlimited um, promotes um, and funds uh, to ensure that we have ample, ample grasslands um, up there when Mother Nature does make it wet. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. an, it's impossible to conceive that you could somehow pump enough water to, um, to, to turn back a drought in an area the size of Texas, Oklahoma, and Nebraska. That's what, that's the size of the prairie pothole region. Hmm. So we have our challenges there. That's not to say we don't have challenges. Agricultural practice changes over the past two to three decades has had a monumental shift in uh, how waterfowl, uh, both ducks and geese migrate. And this is, this is grand scheme type things like when well, we we've seen it in Texas that, with uh, the, uh, you know, with the Katy Prairie, like my grandfather tells me stories I, of just how many snow geese used to show up there. Well, they don't, and, show, and, and they so, don't show up there so anymore. The rice production is not what it was. Well, the, I mean, it's gone. I mean, for the, yeah. for the Katy Prairie, a lot of the Katy Prairie is concrete, right? Mm-hmm. Now. But as you look at the, 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 the country's uh, need to produce more corn, um, corn is produced primarily um, in the middle part in those mid-latitude states. Um, the corn is harvested, 
We all know what happens when corn is harvested. Some is left on the ground. The deer are going to eat it. The ducks are going to eat it. The geese are going to eat it. And it is hundreds of thousands, like millions of acres um, of, of this normal agriculture practice. I mean, these people aren't growing corn. These farmers aren't growing corn uh, to provide food for wildlife. They're, they're growing corn to provide our society with, with food to eat. Right. And so in my lifetime, there's been agriculture change from, you know, the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. And it does change how birds migrate. I, I can remember growing up in Tallahassee, Florida and, and on the coast just south of there. I remember my grandfather when I was very young killing giant Canada geese as they would pass over my grandparents' beach house going from the St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge to the mouth of the Apalachicola River. I can from remember the beach house. Wow, that's so again, cool. I can remember standing there and watching him shoot geese and running out as a four or five year old and picking them up. Now Canada geese don't make it hardly to Virginia. Why? Because the Delmarva Peninsula started growing soybeans and corn. And so the birds had a, a food source. Now, on a really, really cold year, if you get snow, those geese eventually are going to have to come south. We had a snow event last year in this part of the world. And for the first time in about five years, I saw migrating Canada geese, which was awesome. I mean, I pulled over and watched them. Wow, I haven't seen this in five years. But those geese have so much food north of where I hunt now. That is just normal agriculture practice. It has nothing to do with hunting. And I don't think the common waterfowl hunter understands how much ag change can impact migrating waterfowl. I, we, we like to right. think of waterfowl being at a club or waterfowl being at a, a, a state management area or a national wildlife refuge because that's what we see. That's, that's where we've experienced them. But until you've driven through Kansas and, 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 uh, and Illinois and Iowa and Nebraska and see just field after field after field after field um, of harvested corn that doesn't have snow on it, you can't start to get your head around, oh, now I see why they don't come south if we don't get snow cover. Now, the teal will because they're a, they're a daylight migrator. The early pintails will. Um, the, a lot of the diving ducks will, but the mallards and the widgeon, um, uh, the gadwall who will f uh, feed in a field, God gave them wings for a reason, and they're going to stay on that ag land as long as there's open water to go roost on at night um, and as long as snow isn't covering it. So it makes a huge, huge difference. Mm -hmm. And the push well, for I think ethanol, it also... It also puts more predators on the landscape. Like we don't have a fur industry anymore to speak of. Like what, who's, who's out there trapping raccoons and selling the pelts? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to, it's hard to turn a profit doing. <laughs> I've talked to lots of guys who, you know, in high school, that's how they made money was mm -hmm. trapping raccoons and skunks and, you know, various fur bearers. Nobody's doing that anymore. Uh, still, there's still people that trap coyotes and, bobcats and stuff in my part of the world but they're not after the 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 animals that by and large are going to be where ducks nest and depredating on those nests uh so uh, I think correct. Our, our, yeah you're correct um 
the avian predators have always been there um, right. and, and, you know, have, have always been a challenge. Um, as far as the nesting grounds um, are concerned, again, the Dakotas and Montana and up into Canada, um, ample habitat, grassland cover near potholes um, will help uh, waterfowl in, you know, during that nesting season to, to uh, stay away from those predators. Um, but you are correct. There is not the, there is not the fur, uh, industry that we once had. Um, and so we don't have people out who are trying to take those predators off the landscape, mm -hmm. but they, they cycle in and out too. Um, much in the, you know, uh, uh, ducks are going to migrate out of Canada when it gets cold to live. Many of the, the skunks and the, and the coyotes and the, I don't think they have possums up there, but the raccoons don't have that ability, don't have the wings to get south in a brutally, brutally, brutally cold winter, um, seems to manage those populations down, um, as does drought. Uh, drought mm -hmm. really affects the, the predators as much as it does ducks. So I would expect right now that predator numbers are low on the prairies. Uh, but eventually they'll build back up. Some of them do make it through. They might live out the year under an old far abandoned farmhouse somewhere, and then they'll come back up and then they'll go back down. It's just everything swings like a pendulum. Um, and I guess that's one of the good things about getting older is you get to fill your knowledge base after watching decades of these, these mm -hmm. breeding grounds go dry and then get wet again. Well, and I think it's just the challenge of uh, with an ever- growing human population and need for more agriculture where's that where's the common ground where is, the it, ducks can um, still win it, it, it is and, and really on the on the prairies we're seeing actually a reduction in some of the human population up there which which does um, create its own challenge but as we continue to grow on our coasts as well as in our metropolitan area and with the, the need for ethanol, right, with, mm -hmm. with, with some of the, uh, the pushes that have come out from the federal government um, under the Bush administration, we set our first goal uh, that we wanted so, you know, so much ethanol by, so, by this date. Well, the best place to get ethanol from is from a kernel of corn. Right. Um, so there's all, there's all of this stuff that's going on that just changes that landscape. Well, I certainly appreciate today's conversation. Lots of interesting stuff. And, uh, and, and just, you know, like you said, it's not all doom and gloom. These, these numbers weren't really surprising. So no, don't, don't look at it and think, oh, my season's going to suck. No, your season's probably going to be pretty good if, if it gets cold. If it gets um, cold, we're going to have – and really, even if we go back to those uh, – we call it the three and 30 days in the Atlantic flyway back when you could only hunt 30 days and kill three ducks – Seemed like growing up during the three and 30 days, we had cold winters and we had great seasons. Now we had to stop at three birds, but we had great seasons. And if it gets cold, it's going to push them south and we're going to see them and, and have a chance to enjoy it. I just, I think it's neat that in 2022, um, we still have the opportunity to go and, you know, as citizens of the United States of America to take our our own firearms. We don't have to check them out from our club like they do in England. Right. Um, and we have the opportunity to go out in public areas or areas that people uh, lease with their own money and go and chase these things. 
And to me, that's what's exciting is that my two sons get the same opportunity um, 40 years later uh, that I had when I was was their age. So I I think it's important that we all celebrate that. And, you know, we celebrate this freedom that we have uh, for the, the right to hunt and fish and get out and do it. And we'll continue to fight for that freedom. So yes, we will. Don't come at me, bro. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, David, thanks again. I appreciate it. Uh, Of course, if you're not a member of a Ducks Unlimited chapter, I guarantee you there's one in your local area. Uh, I've been on the, and and I'm not even, I don't even live live in Dallas. Uh, That's where I I grew up, Uh, but I still do the Dallas committee because it's a large banquet. And I just, you know, I got plugged in there 12 years ago. I think I bought, I've got a, a dog at a DU banquet and uh, bell died at 11 last year. Best dog I've ever had. Uh, and, and that was through uh, those guys and, and, and that event is I, I went as a, a, as an attendee. And then the next year I joined the, uh, the committee and I think our banquet is uh, October 27th. Some, somewhere like that. We, we don't that do it during right. duck season. So <laughs> it's yeah, like right that before. Right. It sounds to me like we need to get another dog the auction at the uh the dallas no no uh, no the the other dog is already here and uh just finished up her first uh week of do- of dove hunting actually uh, oh that's been, fantastic uh, hopefully we'll have a good teal season and uh subsequently a good duck season as well i hope that you have a great duck season david same to you all right thanks for the time thanks for having me so there you have it ducks unlimited's david schusler jumping on from du headquarters in memphis tennessee Uh, Great stuff there. That segment of the presentation brought to you by Vortex Optics. Did you know that you'll save 10% off any Vortex Optic when you shop at eurooptic.com and use that promo code LONESTAR10? That's right, 10% off any rifle scope, uh, rangefinder, bino, red dot, you name it, anything they make, 10% off. Use that promo code LONESTAR10 when you shop at eurooptic.com. Up next, we're going to check in with our good friend Brian Lynn of Sportsmen's Alliance right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. There's a farmer plowing a barren field Wondering what kind of crop it'll yield If it don't rain this week and no hill don't grow Wow, we live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, And if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. They also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts, with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. 
Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. I drive a pickup I bought in high school Built with pride and Detroit steel She's 40 years old but she purrs like a kitten When I climb behind the wheel I could trade her in, no problem For something newer, shiny and fast But in a throwaway world I'm a sucker Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms We're about to check in with our good friend Brian Lynn, VP over at one of my favorite uh, pro hunting groups, Sportsman's Alliance. Before we do that, though, this segment is brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy and Big and J Whitetail Attractants. I put some of their BB squared out at the uh, deer lease on what day was that? Saturday afternoon, Monday morning. Nice eight point buck right there. And I know because uh had one of those stealth cam cell cams on it. But uh the Bucks well and there was does too, uh, but the Bucks can't resist that BB squared. You can find it over at bigandj.com or like Walmart. Every it's everywhere. BB squared, check it out from Big and J. Okay, uh well let's bring him on right now, one of our more regular guests on the program, Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance. Thanks for being here. Yeah, always great. Uh, so how are things up in Washington state? Uh, weather-wise, they're great. It's been hot, but it's about to kick over to fall. It feels like fall in the morning. So uh, I'm uh, watching the game cameras and uh, trying mm. to figure things out a little bit and see where I'm going to stick the boy and my nephew and maybe I'll get to shoot something, maybe not. But uh, They yeah. haven't uh, banned uh, trail cameras in Washington yet? I mean, they're, they're yeah. into banning bear hunting. So you just they're into uh, banning everything up here. So uh, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me at all if they come up with that one of these days. So, yeah, of course, yeah. if you take uh, well, if if you stop the bear hunting, the lion hunting and the wolf hunting and everything, there's nothing left to kill anyway. So they don't have to worry about trail cameras They're just going to jump right over that. Yeah. So we, we've we've talked in detail about how despite scientific data, supporting a spring bear season you guys lost your bear season this past year yeah yeah so so and because i think we're seeing the beginning of this in texas and for so long texans were like wow why do you cover all of these and not every texan a lot of them are very interested in it because they understand that it's important but there was there's always some like well that could never happen in texas or why do, why do you care so much about what california is doing or that Washington lost their bear season. Why does that stuff really matter to Texans? And here we are in 2022 and you have this uh, fraudulent organization known as Texans for Mountain Lions that is doing exactly that. There's no science to support closing mountain lion hunting, listing them as a game animal, uh, mandatory harvest. There, there's no science at all. And yet they want strict quotas, they want uh, bag limits. They want all of South Texas to have a five-cat bag limit. They want 36-hour uh, trap checks. Brian, some of the ranches in West Texas that these trappers run are 130, 
thousand acres, 150, 200,000 acres. Some of them do multiple ranches. Some of them cover an entire county. You think they can check that trap every 36 hours? Yeah. No, that's, so, uh, that, that's so, where we're going. Yeah. So how did Washington did, walk us through, how long have you lived in Washington? I grew up here. I was gone for 10 years and I've been back for about 10 years. So, and here's why I've always brought these things to the forefront, to, to my listeners, to social media uh, followers is because now it's sitting in my lap in Texas when people are like, Oh, that'll never happen here. Yep. Well, they're trying to kick the door into Texas parks and wildlife. So walk me through how that happened in Washington, because I guarantee you it wasn't always that way. Yeah, no, it. uh, well, I mean, we're Washington has a very, uh, you know, left leaning political bent to it. Uh, I don't think they've elected a, a Republican governor since the eighties. Um, but, uh, you know, the I five corridor, Seattle, Tacoma, Olympia, you know, right down the line there. It's all very urban. And so they elect people that are looking out for their interests and they don't have to deal with the repercussions. They don't know anything about our way of life over here. It's really just a culture war. You know, they don't understand. And so the governor who they keep electing for some reason has, uh, you know, he's stacked the game commission with anti-hunters mm-hmm. or predator protectionists. I mean, one of them is literally a lawyer for a political, for a uh, grizzly bear and wolf protection group, you know? So they're not dumb. They know the laws. They know what to do. Uh, they just have a diametrically opposing view that we need this ecological idea of nature balances itself, which is a complete fabrication. It does not happen. Um, and so it's a five, four stack against hunters on the fish and game commission, the people mm-hmm. responsible for approving. It doesn't matter what the biologists say. The biologists came with data, reams of data, like, no, this is a spring bear hunt. We, it can sustain it. We need it. We're, and at the end of the day, we're talking about 160 bears approximately that would be killed, you know? So it's not like the fall hunt where more are taken. It's a permit only hunt in three sections, three or four sections, you know, where there's timber damage and where there's a uh, conflict, you know, 25 to 30,000 bears is the estimate. Well, they just picked apart the data and said, well, no, you, you didn't give us this piece of data. So we can't be sure. They, they're calling it the precautionary principle. And so they throw right. it out. Sounds great. Everybody wants to be cautious when it comes to managing wildlife. They already are cautious. We already do conservative estimates and conservative harvests. And, you know, it, they're not over, <laughs> over uh, you know, harvesting anything by any means anywhere. And so, but they're, they're laying this out like that. And just casting doubt, muddying the waters, asking for more data, which takes years, which they can just keep pushing and pushing and moving those goalposts. Hmm. So and, and timeline wise, how did the, how long did it take from when you first recognized? Okay. Because this is, this is the start of it in Texas, which is we, which people are like, we never thought we'd see this, but I, these people are well-organized. They're well-funded. And they will not quit. They will, they're not going to go away. Well, this so, started in Washington back in the 90s. 96, they had a ballot initiative and it banned a lot of trapping and it banned the use of bait. No, I'm sorry. It banned the use of bait 
for uh, bears and it banned the use of hounds for bears and mountain lions. You can still hunt mountain lions, mm. but you can't use hounds. Well, good luck. It's pretty tough. I so, actually interviewed a guy in Washington state probably six or seven years ago. Yeah. It was bow hunting elk and he shot, he thought he had a mountain lion tag and just happenstance saw one, shot it. And it, that arrow went right through that one and into another one and killed them both. I don't know if you remember that story. Wow, and wow. He only had one tag, but because it was such an extraordinary circumstance, the game warden let his buddy who was with him, who also had a tag, tag the other one. Because he was like, dude, you didn't know that other line was behind it. And he's like, I'm not going to roast you for that. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes it, everyone wants to complain about Mr. Green, Green Pants sticking it to him. I think there's some good game wardens out there. I think I think the majority of them are, you know, yeah. just like there's good cops and then there's there's bad ones. But yeah, um, but yeah, that's what I was like. I I'll be honest with you, if if I was bow hunting and I'm going bow hunting in Wyoming uh, for elk in a couple of weeks, I'm not buying a mountain lion tag because I'm probably never going to see one. So kudos to that guy for even having a tag, you know, yeah. uh, when you can't use traditional methods like bait or um, hounds for for bears or cougars yeah so this has started way back then mm -hmm. you know and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse and now the game commission is stacked you know that was done by ballot initiative so the department and the commission had nothing to do with it that was a popular vote that they just used seattle and the urban voter to pass you mm -hmm. know hsus passed it you know so it's it, and it's just gone from there and so it's uh you just see this ramping up ramping up and now we've gone from ballot initiatives to now we have five anti-hunters sitting on our game commission who approve our game laws and they can shut down whatever they want, regardless of what the biologists say. And there's and that's who I was speaking to in tech in Austin recently was our, our Texas parks and wildlife commission. Um, to my knowledge, we haven't been infiltrated yet, but that is the goal of Texans from outlines is to infiltrate on from a state wildlife management angle infiltrate Texas Parks and Wildlife, bend their ear, and then they can start, you know, moving forward with their agenda. And uh it was it was eye opening to see the the types of organizations and people. It, it, it wasn't surprising. It just affirmed everything that I thought. Like I said in my speech, uh here was the thing, the thing that I I chose to focus on was then there's six bullet points when they petitioned Texas Parks and Wildlife. Number six was form a stakeholder advisory board that will advise advise Texas Parks and Wildlife on how to manage uh, mountain lions. Number for me, my immediate reaction is, why does my state wildlife agency need to listen to you? Yeah. Number one, who are you? You're just you're insignificant. You just love mountain lions. That's great. I love mountain lions too, and I'm not petitioning to bend their ear. So, and then if you read through the whole thing, they talked about racial equity. They wanted Latino representation. Yes. To me, if a Latino was ahead of an organization, then that would, they would qualify. But I'm like, what does race have to do with wildlife management? So it's just a total left wing, like, you know, it's all about equity. Uh, and then the last and most egregious thing they said was they wanted a, uh, wildlife, an animal, excuse me, animal welfare organization to have representation on the uh, stakeholder advisory board. The number one 
animal welfare organization in the United States is HSUS, Humane Society. Yep. PETA's right there with them. And I threw Defenders for Wildlife in my speech. Ironically, and I had no idea that she was next to speak. I didn't even know she was there. Uh, the president of Texas Defenders for Wildlife spoke right after me. And I just, I mean, everyone that was on our side of the fence just laughed out loud. It was like, oh, there it is. There she is. <laughs> here she is. He just said it. And here's the proof. They're here to testify. Sierra Club testified for him. And then it was a bunch of uh, granola eating, just people who have, you know, no stake in the game. They're not hunters. They don't fund conservation. And they just have an affinity for, for big predators. Deal with the consequences and repercussions of it. it but why would they include that language of a uh, animal welfare activist group having a place on the, on the board that advises Texas Parks and Wildlife? Yeah, we, we see this in Washington, too, with the wolves. You know, they put a stakeholder group together and it included both sides of the equation. Well, when they had the committee meetings and they try to reach consensus on it, and then it blows up in the media. One side says this, the other side says this and points out and they get their points in there. Mm -hmm. And ironically, the, the most ironic thing about that was the group, the committee who are made up of people who are opposed to each other actually came up with a plan. Mm came up with a plan. Well, the animal rights movement didn't like it because it was, yep, this happens, this happens, and this happens. You can kill the wolves. They didn't like that. Talked to the governor. The governor came in and said, no, go redo it. And that's why I will fight tooth and nail to make sure that that type of organization has no seat at the table. Because yeah. when you're talking about hunting and conservation, they are against that. So why would you... And that says everything you need to know about Texans for Mountlands. Why would a group that says, and they, they're very adamant uh, about, because I've, you know, I've pointed out that they're anti-hunting and anti-trapping. And their response is, no, we're pro-hunters. We're hunters. Well, you know, that's great. You shot a deer last year. Wonderful. Good yeah. for you. I'm glad you bought your hunting license. That's where it ends for me in our relationship. Yeah. Because you're not on my side of the fence. If you say, I'm a hunter, but... Mm -hmm. eh, and if you weren't trying to do away with trapping eventually, you wouldn't put a 36-hour mandatory time frame on it. Like your end goal is to end trapping. Your end goal is to end mountain lion Incrementally. Right. Incrementally and regulation. -y. And doesn't it just prove exactly who you are if you're trying to get PETA or the Humane Society a seat at that table? Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I, I think it. earlier you you hit on it. You know, and this is from the sportsman's line side of things. This is one of our biggest challenges is a state like Texas or Alabama. The Southeast is pretty strong, right? So we get members and we might not do anything. We might not have something happen for one, two, three, four, five legislative sessions mm -hmm. in your state. So why would you keep paying dues at $35 a year to a group who doesn't do this, but is working in California, Washington, New York, blah, blah. And it's because of what you said, eventually they're coming, you know, we keep saying it, but eventually they're going to come, they're going to find something to latch onto and the predators is a great one. And so you're, you're, you've shown the example of exactly what we've been trying to say for years and years and years. They're coming. Yeah. Texas you think would be safe. Well, it's an urban rural divide and Texas has some big cities. Some of the biggest cities in the country. Oh yeah. You're going to have that same fight, even though the, your, your ethos and everything else is a little different down there. You're going to have that same fight. You're not safe from their rhetoric and what they're going to try to do. 
So what is your advice to Texans coming from someone who's seen their rights, you know, in gotta, his home state gotta stripped away? Vigilant, just as you're doing, you know, you got to remain vigilant. You got to uh, oppose. You got to be active. You know, you got to make sure the right people are in the right places and, and the system isn't doesn't get ginned against you, you know, and then, you know, join groups that you work with, Sportsman's Alliance, SCI, you know, we're all working at the legislative level and the court level and, and the ballot box, you know, to, to protect you. And even though you're not getting hammered like some of the West and East Coast states are, they're going to come. And we've been there. And with Texas, usually we see dog issues come up. That's mm -hmm. the big one we see are tethering, tethering laws, kenneling laws um, or bills that are put out there that we turn and fight against. And that's, that's the biggest one we see in, in Texas most of the time, usually every mm -hmm. session. Well, we will continue to monitor that situation, see who is put on the stakeholder advisory board and, uh, and whether or not, because I don't think Texas Parks and Wildlife, uh, Wildlife is going to do any of the other five things. So six things total. Uh, and, and, a lot of the people there, including myself, are like, you know, I don't see anything wrong with mandatory harvest reporting. So mountain lion gets killed in Texas. Right now, you don't have to report it. Nothing. That wouldn't bother me so much. But you know what the landowner's take was? And this is why Texas is just such a different animal than every other state. It was, okay, yeah, you want me to play by those rules. But if I start giving you that data and these animal and Texans from outlines, their, their staff biologists say, well, that's not enough lions, then it says, it doesn't matter how many lions we, we prove that there are, it will never be enough for them. So they will only use the data against us. Yeah. And you want to see something, hear something crazy. I was just, I'm working on my next issue for the magazine, which we had to completely change because of our California lawsuit. This was going to be the R3 youth one and California's new law is forcing me to change it. Well, before we get this injunction, hopefully in the lawsuit, but I'm talking to a guy who used to be an investigator for the ASPCA, mm -hmm. you know, and he got out without signing a non-disclosure uh, agreement. And, uh, and he's, I was talking to him yesterday, look up project. What's it called? Project Counterglow is what it's called. Yes. Mm. Project Counterglow. So you have these guys who will start reporting uh, the mountain lion kills you know, their farmers, ranchers, whatever. Yeah. Project Counterglow is a national map of database with every single farm, ranch, you know, commercialized, whatever slaughterhouse listed that they can then, they literally put a pin drop in a Google map that shows the satellite version of their, of their land, tells what kind it is. So people can take direct action against them if they want to. Hmm. Direct action being sabotaging, attacking, doing whatever, harassing. That, that brings up a good point as far as uh, this coalition's board members. One of the ladies on the, uh, the board, and I didn't know this until I went to Austin and was talking to the founder, who his name's uh, Jeremy Harrison. He was actually just on the show. Uh, but he's the founder of the West Texas Big Bobcat Contest, the biggest predator contest in the country largest payout um one of the board members was there at the weigh-in to protest the existence and tried to get it canceled in 2020 
uh, because of COVID. So she actually called this, got as high as far as the lieutenant governor trying to get this thing canceled. Uh, but luckily, our governor had already put in the right to hunt and fish, wasn't affected by COVID lockdown or mandate stuff. And so he was like, screw you, we're having the contest. And so she didn't get it. She didn't get her way in 2020. And then in 2021, she was just there at the uh, way into protest. That kind of stuff no one knows about. But yes, that is one of the one of the uh, coalition founding members of Texans from Outlines who was yeah, there protesting. Uh, uh, but yeah, they're pro hunting and trapping, Brian, right? <laughs> but laughable. like you said, it's, you know, if a, if a if a ranch owner starts cooperating, which I'm not saying don't cooperate, but if that they can literally put themselves on the map, a literal Google map that has their farm and everything highlighted and connected to this project uh, Counterglow is paper trail which is a forum that they can they discuss this stuff on you can just google it right now and look it up it's crazy Mm. and and then they even talk about it on facebook on one of their uh was going through it the other day one of their threads they talk about direct action and how not everybody talks to them in the public unless they're on a secure channel which they totally understand Mm. i wonder why it but we're the bad guys i don't know right well certainly interesting stuff i had no idea about Project Counterglow and how they're trying to systematically dox folks with that endeavor. Jeez. Hardly surprising, though. Um, And I do want to mention, you know, I don't want to keep harping on this Texans from Outlines thing week after week, and we're not going to, but I wanted to get your perspective as a, a lifelong Washington resident who has seen things change for the worse in your own state regarding bears, mountain lions, the inability to uh, manage wolves, all of it, uh, because this fight has been brought to Texans, and it's in our lap. What are we going to do? Hopefully, uh, we'll stand up stronger than you Washington folks. No offense, but uh, let's knock out a break. Coming up next, we'll head to my least favorite state. (laughs) It's no secret about uh, California holding that title and get into the lawsuit that you guys have filed with SCI uh, and other partners to to try to make sure that our hunting and shooting heritage is still able to be passed down to the future generation. Uh, that segment brought to you by Armasite Thermal and Night Vision in Optics. We'll be right back no on the Star Outdoor Show. Said, what a crying shame and the DNR predicted their season was doomed. Well, me and my buddies, we got to thank you. Sitting around one night drinking, how we gonna fill up our deer tags? Cable here, and if you're like me, you probably enjoy bold flavors and cuisines. And nobody does Cajun and Creole better than Chris's Specialty Foods in Frisco. Their forte includes specialty sausages, boudins, and andouille, pre-cooked soups, gumbos, and sides, where all you have to do is heat it up. What about high-quality steaks, smoked and fried turkeys, turduckins, and turduckin rolls for the holidays, plus gift boxes, storefront conveniently located off Dallas Parkway in Frisco, or shop online at chrisespecialtyfoods.com and have it delivered to your door. That's the late Kylie Ray Harris slide over, bringing us back 
on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as always. Thanks for dropping by and still here with us, our good friend Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance. Before we get back into that discussion, though, this segment brought to you by NUMA and the Pathfinder Pant. I took Henry and his buddy Mickey, uh, and this was Mickey's first ever hunt, so that was pretty cool. Uh, but his parents uh, are good friends of ours, and they felt comfortable, I guess, <laughs> letting me shepherd their son on his first hunting experience. And so we're out in the dove patch. There is those little cockleburrs or briars. I think they're called cockleburrs. But those little tiny seed-looking things that get stuck on your sock or your shorts or anything that it touches, or the dog's covered in them. Um, and anyway... Mickey and his buddy Henry, I look at their socks. I'm just laughing. They had to throw their socks away. There are so many burrs in them. Uh, and I've got those Pathfinder brush guard pants on. They don't even have a damn burr on me. It was awesome. <laughs> I wish they made them in kid sizes. I'd get them some. But uh, you can find the Pathfinder pant at numaoutdoors.com and save 20% with that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out. Well, let's go ahead and get back into that conversation with Sportsman's Alliance's Brian Lynn. Um, okay, shifting away from Texas, I think I was talking to Ben Cassidy from SCI yeah. a couple weeks ago on the California lawsuit, which you guys are partners on. Yep. Uh, we'll hit on it again if anyone's not familiar with it. And if you really want to get a Californian state, go listen to my um, recent conversation with with Jeremiah Dowdy from Field to Plate, who is a who lives in California and was at a grocery store wearing a black rifle coffee t-shirt and was accosted by this woman and her son. Her son thought it was a cool shirt. She accosted him saying, you're the problem. Why are you wearing that t-shirt? I mean, just screaming at him. And turns out that she let, he, Jeremiah was like, turns to the kid and goes, you play shooter video games? He was like, yeah. He's like, what's your favorite one? He was like, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't play them, but Halo. Um, Call of Duty. And then he's like, what's your favorite gun? And the kid just starts listing all these crazy weapons. And he's like, yeah, and I really like head shooting them. And then he, Jeremiah just looked at his, at the lady and was like, yeah, I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know that your kid is online just shooting people in the head yeah. with sniper rifles and blowing them up and stuff. And I'm just wearing, exercising my Second Amendment right, wearing this Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt. It's a coffee company, by the way, lady. Coffee company. That's your First Amendment right. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. First Amendment. Yes. And... And that's the, and that's the First crux Amendment, sorry. And that's the crux of our case in California. It's yeah. First Amendment. It's a First Amendment issue. It's uh, so yeah, they're uh, but 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 the point of this was that t-shirt now that he was wearing that day could be viewed as maybe advertising to minors. Like he's walking around with a with a an AR on the front of his chest. Yep. Anything that is so vague, that's the problem, right? Is mm -hmm. it's so overly broad that it includes anybody that does anything. And it's, yeah, clothing. Clothing marketed to youth that uh, that encourages the use of a gun or an accessory. So scopes, mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, anything that attaches to the gun is included in this. And so, yeah, uh, how, how you discern between a minor who is under the age of 18, so 17, wearing a t-shirt versus an 18-year-old wearing the same t-shirt, you know, a day apart. And, you know, it, so it's so overly broad that it includes clothing, youth model shotguns, something that's painted pink, 
you know, like uh, Savage used to have or still has those uh, rascal youth youth rifles that right. are pink and blue and what oh, those, especially in ad, not photos together uh, of a kid. Hunter Education. Hunter yeah. Education. And you, what about youth shooting sports and stuff in <laughs> some of the more rural school districts? Not even rural. One of the one of the partners on this is SoCal Top Guns. It's right there in L.A. And they teach shooting and uh, have made Olympians, national champions. They compete all over the country. You know, great kids known for, you know, good manners and discipline and everything else. They had to pull their website down because it has, you know, a cartoonish logo of of a clay trap of a clay target with a little face on it, you know, and it shows kids shooting. So anything that promotes the use of a firearm is included in this. Mm. So like, it's just, you know, so broad chilling, the chilling effect. Cause nobody knows exactly who would be hammered. Well, if, you, you know, if, I don't know that they're intentionally targeting the future generations uh, of hunters, but yeah. that's the, that's the, you know, see, and that, and that's part of the argument is that, uh, that's the fallout. California, the state is still engaging in this behavior because they're still promoting R three and hunter education. Because they say we're not part of this, it doesn't count again for us. It only counts if you're a member of the firearms industry. Well, that's what's called. I've learned this talking to all the smart people in the organization: viewpoint discrimination, and it's completely unconstitutional. You can't say, "Yep, you guys can say this, but these guys can't." It, it's just illegal. It's it's unconstitutional. Yeah. So it's a it's a very strong case, and. Uh, you know, looking forward to that. Where, so where does that sit right now? Lawson? Uh, well, we've filed the case. It's filed. Um, we've heard talk that there is a legislative amendment that's going around that they're trying to work on carving out different things. Uh, what that looks like, if it actually solves it, we don't know. Uh, so we are, we've got our case filed and we are waiting and we have done whatever it is, the affidavit, I guess, uh, to ask for an injunction. And so that's kind of where we're at right now, that the wheels of justice are slow and it, mm-hmm. it's a long, laborious process. So hopefully we get an injunction, which puts this on the shelf until it's settled in, in court, which can take two, three, four years. They said, California said they're going to fight anything to any attempt to undermine it. So it could drag out for a while. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, some very smart Texan last week put up a uh, billboard that said the Texas miracle died in Uvalde. Don't move to Texas. Yeah. And you would think like when I first saw it, I was like, Oh, California just trying to stop the mass exodus because last year was the first year in history that they had a negative population trend. Yeah. Yeah. And dude, I, I, they can't keep U-Hauls. They, if you wanted to rent a U-Haul in California, it'll cost you like three or $4,000 because they know you're not bringing it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seriously, this is, that's not a joke. They can't find a U-Hauls. Uh, but yeah, so then I thought, uh, wait a second. It seems like that might be something that Gavin Newsom would do, right? Just put up that billboard. Then re- you really look into it. It was like, no, some really smart Texas businessman or group purchased that. It's like... <laughs> you know, reverse psychology. Yeah. Uh, either way, I hope it works. <laughs> um, what about the, 
let's talk about someone who's drawn my ire from the day we heard her name mentioned as a uh, possible candidate for Secretary of the Interior, Deb Howland, and you know the usual BHAs and some of the other organizations out there championed their appointment. And I mean, I'm so done with BHA; it's not even funny. Uh, there's just this group, Texans from Outlines, the founder spoke in Austin at their recent state. Uh, I don't want to say it's their, I guess it's like their state rendezvous or their state event. Yeah. Annual st- yeah. Uh, so, so you have that he's speaking there. I'm just like, but anyway, BHA champions, um, BHA champions, the, the inflation reduction act, which I have also seen trout unlimited. If we want to talk about organizations that are now on my blacklist and uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, what is it? Conservation partnership or what is it, what is it called? Yeah. Yeah. TRC. Yeah. They're all, they're all in, you know, the same they're all the same ilk uh we're not gonna have money to support your organizations when we can't afford to go hunting and fishing because of your bill it's uh you know and getting a kickback what it amounts to a little loose change for conservation at the expense of bankrupting the country eh. yeah yeah it just tells you all you need to know about your agenda and um but anyway deb howland not a fan of her. Wasn't a fan when she was appointed. She wouldn't commit to no net loss hunting policy, which SCI turned the screws on her, asked her, and congressman asked her, will you commit to this? No, nope, she wouldn't do it. Now we've lost millions of acres of caribou and sheep hunting in Alaska and three different units, maybe four, actually four, I think, two sheep, two caribou. Um, she lets this federal subsistence board walk all over the Department of the Interior without any scientific data to support closing these units. Uh, and then we have the, which was what we're going to talk about now, the, the lead shot ban going on with uh, many of our, our uh, refuges. And the concerning thing there is not only if they, it's, what is it? 15? How many refugees is it now? Uh, for what? The lead ban? Yeah. So the proposal is, so you see this every time, you know, president, he'll open oh, up new, new refuges. Mm-hmm. Their proposal, I think it's 13. 13. 13 uh, refuges. They said, okay, we'll open these, but they're lead free. No, mm-hmm. no lead shot. No lead fishing sinkers. Nothing. You know, and so that's the proposal. And that any future openings would be also be lead free. Under any president, right? They're trying to pass that law. Yeah. yeah. You know, and they're trying to make that the, the the rule and the law. So they they put the proposal out there, you know, which Sportsman's Alliance, we started screaming about this almost a year ago. Like it was uh, January, I think, that we started first hammering them on it. And uh, and we were going to step in, yeah, in last fall to be on the side of the government to uh, to stop this lawsuit from Center for Biological Diversity. And then the Uh, there's another animal welfare organization right there. Yeah, they're actually been more active this year than in any recent year. I mean, this year I'd put them ahead of ahead of Humane Society of the United States. Mm -hmm. HSUS has been quiet this year. I don't know if they're working in tandem and they're saving their bankroll to do ballot initiatives next year or what. But uh, Center for Biological Diversity has probably been the worst this year. Usually it's HSUS, but CBD is. We've talked about them a lot on this show. I know that. Yeah, they've been hammering it this year, been hot. Um, and so they, you know, 
the Biden administration, even though we have a super strong suit, you know, or defense from this lawsuit, they went into negotiations with them, settlement talks. Without hunters being represented there, like Sportsman's Alliance, no seat at the table. SCI, no seat at the table. No, they, they locked uh, us in. National Shooting Sports Foundation, no seat at the table. Yeah. Closed door negotiations, and they extended them. And there's nothing to negotiate on. Why do you close the door if you're not trying to hide something? Well, it gets, it gets better than that. Right before the rule was proposed, uh, Deb Howland pulled down the website right. that showed the payouts, that yeah. shows how much they're paying out if they uh, – if they settle. And so, so, so now, and we've talked about this. So now we have, we have no accountability because we're doing it behind closed doors. Yep. And now we have no transparency because we've pulled down the website that shows where your taxpayer dollars are being spent. Yeah. And we're talking hundreds of millions, uh, so hundreds, and hundreds of millions, like over a four year period or something. It was like $4 billion or something. It was crazy. Um, and so they have the, the rule proposed. And I think that closed uh, at the beginning of the month, first week or two of the month of August. And so they should be publishing whether or not that is going to be enacted or not. And we'll go from there. But this really sets a, a potentially dangerous domino effect mm-hmm. of lead free across first the refuge system, then all federal lands. And then it can trickle down to state lands too, you know, and then you get into ammo supply, you get into pricing issues, economics, you know, you get into all the stuff we just came out of. With right. So explain, and here's the, here's something that's very important to, you know, kind of lay out as black and white. Why would someone, you're wearing a shirt that says hunter-vationist. So hunter and a conservationist mixed together. That's uh, something that Sportsman's Alliance coined, yep. uh, which is very cool. Why would a hunter-vationist, be against uh why, why shouldn't we just say yeah all all refuges in, in state and federal land should be non-toxic shot uh well first there's no data to support support it at a population level every study you see is an extrapolated study with different uh birds or animals and it's at a very micro level we don't manage at a micro level a species at a micro level right are you, is there any impact at a population level? You know, are, is the eagle population dropping? No, it's going up. Are there more deaths of eagles because of whatever? Yes, because there's more eagles. So there, there's no population level dynamic that they can show, you know? And so it's like, that's where we manage at. And there's and none, of, none of it's showing that across any species. You know, I just mm-hmm. saw another study came out about, lead shot or not lead shot, but bullet fragments in, in uh, gelatin and how small it can get down to within the meat and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but you're not even factoring in that we clean out around the wound. Yeah. <laughs> we clean out that bad meat, you know? So it's kind of like this, well, it's kind of where media is at these days is scare tactics, fear, fear cells, you know? Yeah. And so as a huntervation, it's like there's no data to show to justify this move. It also will cut back on the amount of ammo that's out there. You know, I mean, there's a reason we use lead. One, it's effective. And two, it's plentiful. And affordable. Yeah. And, if, and because it's plentiful, it's affordable. Right. Other stuff is not 
plentiful. Therefore, it's not affordable, <laughs> you know, and it's harder to get. And then you have manufacturing on the side, on the other side of it. You can't just flip, flip the switch. switch. All done. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be then an ammo supply issue. And then you have all it trickles down. So you bottom know, line is you would have COVID, right? You'd have less hunters, less which hunters, means you'd less have less money to keep these wild places open and the state parks funded and, you know, the bathroom uh, at the trailhead open and work you know usable the, the trails themselves uh in working order not having laydowns across every trail all well, of it. game wardens yeah. you're, you're not going to have the funding to do all of it you know and so that's the trickle down eventually so that's the underhanded attack on hunting that that you have to connect the dots it's okay why would we be i mean it sounds great on the surface yeah well we should all be for non-toxic shot well what does it really look like when you when you look at the big equation and it looks like less hunters and less money for hunting uh, for conservation yeah. through hunters dollars. And that's the, and that's the fear and, and the danger because it sounds great on the surface. So that's what most of the voting public hears. Well, yeah, it's just like Texans from outline sounds great, right? Yeah. I'm a Texan from, I think about that. I saw that. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm a Texan from outlines. I like mountain lines. I want them to stick around Texas, but yeah, so it sounds great, but then you look into it, it's like, oh, wait a second. Let's peel back the onion. Yeah, Ugh, this isn't. Oof, it's kind of gross, really, when you start looking at it. Yeah, you know, but the non-hunting public, one, doesn't peel back the onion, and two, even great if you point. peel it back for them, they go, yeah, well, the precautionary principle that they use in Washington, the to be cautious, we should probably do this. We don't want to poison everything, even if it's at the micro level. Meanwhile, the birds are getting killed by the wind turbines and windmills and everything else, but that's okay. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we'll just have to keep fighting the good fight. This is, that's all we can do. Yes. And, sir. you know, sometimes I feel like it's, uh, I don't ever want to say hopeless, but certainly an uphill battle because they just keep coming. They keep throwing so much money at it. They're oh, organized, yeah. like I said. Uh, so it's not hopeless, but it is a struggle. But, it, you know, you have two choices. Bend over and take it or stand up and fight for what you believe in and what you know is true and right yep. and virtuous. So uh, we'll keep doing that. Yep. That's a, the Sportsman's Alliance will keep doing it, too, and in Texas and every other state. So, yeah, it's all you can do. Punch them back. Well, the, it hasn't come for uh, for any type of legal action yet, but you guys will be the first ones that I call on if uh, if something changes within Texas Parks and Wildlife. Right now, I have a good feeling that, you know, we've got this thing pushed back for now. So yep. we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I don't see how the, the commission could have looked at the testimony and been like, oh, there's any doubt one side of the fence was right and the other side was, we just love animals and mountain lions so much. Okay. Hopefully uh -huh. they could see through that. It was a, there were some pretty laughable moments from the the things that these people were saying for them. Just you got to be careful. It starts that way, and then complacency sets in. You know, the fact that you went there is great. The fact that we had folks there is great. You know, you get a couple of wins. They're not going to stop. They don't have anything mm -hmm. better to do, and they're ideologues. You yeah. know, so after a couple of wins, we'll be like, eh, we don't have to go to this meeting it's hunting season or whatever and they're still showing up 
and they're well, they're not hunting, so yeah, they'll be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, so, what is the uh, website? Uh, sportsmensalliance.org. That's M E N S. Sportsmensalliance.org. And same on all the social media stuff. Yeah, yeah, you should be able uh, to search that. And Thirty-five bucks a year. What does that get you? Oh, I, you get our magazine, our quarterly magazine. I think you get a hat or a T-shirt. Uh, I'm not sure what what the, yeah. what the membership department has kicking right now. But more importantly, yeah. you help fund uh, a voice of reason and and one that is on the front lines, monitoring. And it's and and I always tell you, it's a thankless and it seems like a dauntless, thankless task to keep track of anti-hunting legislation going on in 50 states. Uh, yeah. But you guys do a great job, and, and we appreciate you keeping us in the loop because so many times I see the headlines and I don't know what's going on in Pennsylvania or Washington state or Minnesota with wolves up there, but I see the stuff that you guys put out and, uh, and it keeps me educated and up to speed on, you know, what we're facing. And like I said, it's going to end up in all of our laps at one, one time or another. So it's important to keep tabs on all of it. So we appreciate all you guys do. Thank you. And thank you for getting the word out. All right, Brian. Well, hey, I hope you have a great fall. You too, buddy. All right. Take care. Later. Well, there you have it. The latest from Sportsman's Alliance and uh, Brian Lynn, our good pal. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee company, veteran owned and operated and unapologetically patriotic from their coffee names to all of that awesome swag you can find on their website, uh, be sure to use my promo code Lone Star Twenty when you check out. You'll save uh, big savings, twenty percent off everything on the website at BlackRifleCoffee.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to David Schusler from Ducks Unlimited, of course Brian Lynn as well. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. All I want is what I had I'd trade it all just to get her back She's moving on, but I guess I'm not Yeah, we all want what we ain't